On this episode of the Nesson Celtics podcast, I have a special guest with me, Ben Watanabe, our digital content manager here at Nesson. More importantly, joining me to recollect and remember and pay remembrance to the legacy, the memory of the greatest winner of all time, one of the greatest athletes of all time in Bill Russell. So Ben, I'm happy you reached out to me on this when the news came down. Obviously, sad news to wake up to, but 88 years old, Bill Russell passes away at his home in Seattle or an island just off the coast of Seattle, an 11-time NBA champion, five-time MVP, won all those rings with the Boston Celtics, two of those as a player coach, a long, long legacy, more than you could ever really put into words. Yeah, I think the best way that I heard it put was, if you want to talk about the Mount Rushmore of Boston sports, you can debate who those four people are. He's not on that Mount Rushmore because he's on an, an entirely different mountain. Um, and I think, you know, hopefully we talk about because there, there's obviously many sides of Bill Russell, but the player Bill Russell is one of the greatest athletes of all time. The man Bill Russell is one of the greatest activists and humanitarians of all time. And uh, if you can be one of those things, you're doing pretty good. If you're both of those things at once, you had quite the life. And he, he had it. I mean, he was a black man born in America in the 1930s. He played his college basketball in the 50s, broke into the NBA in 57 and was never treated fairly just because of the color of his skin. I know when he joined the Celtics, and even when he won six rings with Bob Cousy, that was Bob Cousy's team. Yes. Bob Cousy never won a ring without Bill Russell. Red Auerbach never won a ring without Bill Russell. So he had a lot to overcome in that sense. And I know he had the long, strained past with this city, the stuff he dealt with in Boston. He dealt nationally whenever the team was traveling. Um, Still... And what was cool, you told me that you were at his statue when it went up in 2013. He came back to the city and actually spoke of that, which I think was really important. The statue unveiling is one of the highlights of like my professional career. Um, it was a really rainy day. Uh, it was supposed to be outside. It was supposed to be open to the entire public. Uh, but because it was such a, an ugly day, they had to move it into a, into a room. And I think it was like State Street or something like that. Um, and he just he talked forever. Um, and so many other people spoke and they had prepared remarks and all that kind of stuff. Um, but he just went up and he just started, you know, talking about his experiences. Um, and is just, he's one of those people where, you know, like I've been in the room with LeBron James. I've been in a room with Tom Brady. No one, when he walked in, like the, the, the mass and the weight of the room, like shifted in that direction. Like it did. Uh, with Bill Russell, um, because you wanted to hear what he had to say, and he just always kept you off guard. Like he would, he would tell a story, or he would begin, you know, talking in a way that, like, you think he'd be going in a, in a certain direction, and then all of a sudden he he kind of changed direction, and it would really make you think. Um, and that's why I just remember kind of like sitting there and listening to him talk. Which at the time, he, even though it was nine years ago now, there was kind of a sense of like, I wonder how many more opportunities you're going to get to listen to this guy. And I'm just glad that I got one of those opportunities. Is there something that stands out to you from that day, from that speech, anything that sticks with you? So there's so many things that he said that have stuck with me. Um, I think the number one thing that has always stuck with me is his quote that there's no such thing as other people's children. And I think that that is just like such encapsulates everything that you could see about his life, that it's not about, what's best for your kids, what's best for my kids. It's about everybody's kids. Um, and I always thought that that was really uh, revealing. I think if, if you can find a copy of his memoir, Second Wind, which it's really hard to find, it's been out of, it's been out of print, but you know, 
reading that, I, I read it for first, the first time, uh, I think it was about like eight or nine years ago. And all the stuff he talks about is stuff that we were like, a lot of the world was just starting to talk about like in 2020 with George Floyd and all that. And he, you know, he talks about his experience, you know, being pulled over by police and you're like, Oh my, like this is, he's talking about this stuff before really the world wanted to hear it. And that's what he always carried. You mentioned that he's like, there's no such thing as someone else's kids too, that he was a mentor for not just, you know, the guys in the eighties and the nineties that played like what he did for Isaiah Thomas after he had that bad turnover that Larry Bird stole the ball. He called him. And he said, you're going to be all right. But also with LeBron James's, with the, with the Kobe Bryant's, that generation after generation of NBA star, Bill Russell was there for them. And what was big, once the finals MVP trophy was named after him, he was always there for him to hand it to the finals MVP to celebrate him. And it made him a part of the championship. You know, normally you wouldn't expect that from the league. You know, you'd have a commissioner hand that or an owner or something of that sorts. But Bill Russell was celebrated. And it all goes into... What happens whenever, you know, a legend like him will pass away? There's that comparison. You know, I said he's one of the greatest athletes of all time, and he is. He's arguably the greatest NBA player of all time. As we go blue yelling MJ or LeBron, remember the rings he had, and people say, well, it was an eight-team league at the time. It was, well, he still had to win 11 rings, and 21-0, and and winner-take-all games, including his college days. He, he was clutch. He wasn't the best offensively, but he knew what to do, and he knew what to do to lift up his team. And redefined how you defend at a center position too well i'll actually turn around it, because there was only eight teams the concentration of talent was a lot greater than it is now you know maybe the overall level of talent but you had fewer teams so therefore every player on the team was was closer together i i think that when they talk about whether players could make it in in this era if if you look at russell the entire game had to change the sport had to change because of him he came in in an era when being tall and being athletic and just jumping were looked at as things you do not do in basketball. And he came in and he was like, no, if I dunk and I block your shot, that's good. And he really had, he had to find a coach who was really, you know, who, had to, who would accept that in order for him to, to, to prosper. Uh, the other thing that, that he did was when he first came in and played basketball, you know, he was not very good. He was very raw. So he would travel around his, his neighboring towns, and he would hear about the player. They'd say, hey, this guy two towns over, he's the best around here. And he would go over, and he would watch that guy. He would just stand in the, in the, sit in the stands, or he would you know, be on the side in the playground, and he would watch him, and he would memorize his moves. And you think of nowadays when we have you know, data and video of every athlete, the way that he would have been able to use it, what he was able to do in an analog time to study mm-hmm. his opponents, the way he would be able to do that is obviously like, you know, and, and they, they, they changed the court. They literally changed the court because of him. They widened the, 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 the free throw, the free throw lane. Um, to me, he's just a perfect example of a guy that if you gave him all of the opportunities that are present for today's athletes, he, there's no question to me that he would excel. Maybe not win you know, 11 championships in 13 years, but he would absolutely be one of the great, still be one of the greatest players of all time. Yeah, his loan offer out of college, coming out of high school, was the University of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And then he went there and won two national championships. Then he won a gold medal. And then he got into the NBA. But it wasn't. His, it was his loan offer because he was seen as really raw yeah. and not that good. And one coach saw him and said, gave him an offer. And, and Bill Russell jumped at it. And he was growing, he was living in Oakland at the time. So it was still San Francisco was right there. 
Absolutely. I, I mean, you know, people it. say now, you know, oh, like, you know, Steph Curry had to force the NBA to rethink the, the three-point shot. But, but the way that Bill Russell forced basketball to rethink its entire, like, sport <laughs> is, is Steph Curry times 10 million. But So let me ask you, because obviously, you know, everybody knew Bill Russell, you know, 11 championships. Uh, they know that he was, you know, active in the civil rights movement. Maybe you, you know, knew that he was there for the walk, walk on Mar- the walk on Washington. Mm-hmm. What has been the thing that you've learned about Bill Russell in the last few days that stuck with you the most? What stuck with me is him as an activist because I knew that. I just didn't know to his level. And that was when it came to celebrities that were activists, so people with the platforms, it was him and Muhammad Ali pretty much because you had obviously in that times Martin Luther King Jr. and how much his assassination affected him, but I didn't know he was at that level. And to the point where he had NBA playoff games rescheduled so he can go and attend, especially after MLK's death. So I didn't know that. I also did not know. I knew what happened to him in Boston. I knew it wasn't the most healthy relationship with him in the city down the line, but I didn't know it was that strained that he didn't want to return. He didn't attend his number retirement ceremony, but then also that's what makes it more special to me that his latter years that he returned to the city and he came in his back around basketball so much because I've heard that, you know, he's a prickly guy, but you know, if you found out you know basketball and you love it, then he'll open up. And everything he's been through, I kind of don't blame him. You know, it's tough to trust anyone and you'd, you'd be jaded by anyone like that. But that's what stood out to me was that as good as he was and, and I'm learning more about what he did for the game. But also, I didn't. I learned about how he was in the shadow of Kuz and Bill and Sharman. Yeah. And yeah. And even the guys he played with because a lot of those numbers that we see retired yep. as well, those were his teammates. And how it was when... Larry Bird won his rings, and in this city was quick to say he was the greatest of all time. And Larry Bird himself would say, no, it was Bill Russell. It was just time and time again, no matter what he accomplished, and it is, like you said, the conversations we've heard and we've had since 2020 that have really been pushed on us, especially, um, you see for him that just because he was black, he would always be undermined, and he always wasn't enough. And it was amazing because of what he did, 11 rings. In that span, he could have had 12 if he didn't hurt his leg. And the yeah. Atlanta Hawks had a great run and they went in six games because he was playing on one leg. And like, that's what it goes into. And even for him, the first black coach, and he was seeing, well, you know, Red Auerbach tapped him as his successor. It's like, well, can a black guy lead a bunch of white men? And it's like, yeah, a man yeah. can lead a bunch of men. And so that's what jumped out to me. And you always know, how, I always knew how well respected he was. Um, but then you see, whenever he would speak, whenever he'd make his appearances, whenever he'd do interviews, how much gravity they held, how much weight it held. That's what really shines to me of just how important he was to basketball and to humanity, like you pointed out. Yeah. I, I, the, the, there's a number of, of stories you know, about him as his time as a Celtic, but a couple to me that stood out from the perspective of his teammates was um, there was a game, I, I believe it was Satch Sanders. Um, I, I could be wrong, but he invited his father to a game and the they play the game. I can't remember who won or lost, but the team is is later there in the locker room. They're showering, and uh, again, I apologize. It might have been a, a different uh, black player, but it was it, his father was standing there, and he stopped at the showers, and he looked in the showers. He started started crying, and uh, you know his son comes over to him, and and he he's like, what's 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 the matter, pop? And he said, I never thought I would see the day when water could run off a black man's back onto a white man. And he just, it was, he would 
just it, it just goes goes to show like what the Celtics franchise at that point meant. Mm-hmm. Um, the other the other story to remember is so Frank Ramsey, who was the first sixth man in the NBA, a white player from Kentucky. There was a uh, exhibition game they played in Kentucky, and it was supposed to be basically Frank Ramsey night. And they got there at the night before the game, and they're in the hotel, and they go down to the hotel restaurant to have dinner. And uh, Bill Russell and Casey Jones and some other black players come in, and they say, your, your kind isn't allowed to eat here. So uh, long story short, Bill Russell goes to Red Auerbach. He says, we're flying home. We're not playing in the game. Uh, and the next day, they, they, they play the game without the, the black players on the Celtics. And, and the reporters at that time went to Frank Ramsey. Uh, who were, they were up in arms. They said, you know, I, Bill Russell overshadowed Frank Ramsey's big night. You know, how could he do this? And they went to Frank Ramsey expecting him to just be like, you know, how, you know this, this is supposed to be my night. And, and Frank Ramsey said, I support everything he did. He said, no thinking person, uh, you know, is, is a segregationist. And I, I'm, I'm ashamed on behalf of, you know, my home state that, that my teammate went through this. Um, and I don't know what Frank Ramsey's, you know, point of view was before that, before he played with Russell, but it just kind of showed, you know, the impact that he had on, on his teammates and on their families. And it shows like on top of everything he had to do for the team to win, that's the extra weight he was carrying. His Mm -hmm. teammates too, that were also black, but for him to being such a big icon and whenever he walks and probably whenever he was talking before and after games and just wherever he was that it didn't just follow him as. Bill Russell, the NBA players, Bill mm-hmm. Russell, the activist, Bill Russell, the black man, that's a leader, the black leader in his community yeah. and nationally as well. And, and that's, you know, honestly, I mean, it, one thing that, that kind of bugged me a few years ago was when the Celtics, like every NBA team, were going through their endless numbers of alternate uniforms, um, <laughs> is that they introduced uniforms that said Boston across the chest. And since I think like the late 60s, it had always been the tradition that the Celtics uniforms, they only said Celtics across the chest. Uh, and the reason for that was Russell, the, that their road uniforms used to say Boston. And he was adamant. He said, I don't play for Boston. He said, I play for the Celtics. And therefore, like, I'll only play if the jersey says Celtics across. And because of that, both their road and home jerseys for years only said Celtics. And uh, I think, unfortunately, in the rush to sell new jerseys, uh, this, I think the Celtics might have maybe forgotten about that mm-hmm. in in introducing, you know, maybe not maybe not even being aware of why the jerseys didn't use to say Boston. I wonder, you know, as these conversations continue, you know, a few days past his death now when we're recording this podcast, just the more and more stories we'll hear. Um, one thing I always like to ask, especially the perspective you have on him, and you can answer this because I always say to people, you know, when you look back, what, what would you tell your grandkids or your kids about so-and-so? What, for you, with your daughters, what would you tell them about Bill Russell if you wanted to pass down a lesson to them or just if, when they asked you, like, wait, why was this guy so special? Yeah, it was so, so, I mean, tomorrow, you know, I, I am going to bring, you know, my kids to the statue down uh, by City Hall. Um, and I really think they did a really nice job with that, with that monument to him. Um, because you know, if you've ever been down there, it's it's a statue of him um, in his in his Celtics jersey. I get why they chose that. I I still think it might have been even better to just have him there in a suit. But uh, he's surrounded by um, these marble blocks that each one has like a notable thing that he said. Um, and I think that that's 
that will ultimately be the legacy, which I'm really glad that like they didn't put that statue at TD Garden where like the Bobby Orr statue is. Um, no, no disrespect to Bobby Orr, but like Bill Russell's impact was not just in that block area over by the old garden. Um, it, it was it was citywide, and while he might not have felt the benefit of it, I think that the way in which he impacted the city benefited everybody else. Mm-hmm. And for you. When you think back, like what do you have a, a memory of him? I know you have 2013. Obviously, the games wasn't for you when you weren't around. But when you think about him and, and like you said, the impact on this city where you've lived so long. So he was my father's favorite player. Mm-hmm. Um, my father's two favorite athletes were Jim Brown and, and, and Bill Russell. And that was the thing that I heard the most about was not just that they were arguably the two greatest players in their respective fields, but that they were active with Muhammad Ali and, and, and all these other uh, activists slash athletes. Um, the thing that I like, this is after we've talked about all the like hefty stuff. One thing I was thinking about when I was looking at the photos and the videos is, you know, you look at a lot of the old athletes in those, those original NBA uniforms and they look so ridiculous. Like they're wearing like leather belts and short shorts and like these, like the jerseys were just like t-shirts with like the sleeves cut off. And like, they look like such dorks, but Bill Russell still looked so cool. Like it was just one of those things where it's like, no, it it didn't matter that this was a time when you played in sanitary socks and like Chuck Taylor Converse Converse, uh, shoes like he was still the embodiment of cool right up until his death uh, at 88. I've noticed that too when I was seeing photos and videos of him too and the same thing of like some of the guys you see back in the day there's always a joke like it was janitors and plumbers yeah. right but there are a few guys you look and they actually look the part of a modern day NBA player like he was big he was cut up he was chiseled and you're like alright that's a guy again you go into if he had modern day technology to mm-hmm. scout and get better, same thing. If he had modern day, you know, for training and to be in shape, same thing. Like he could last in this league. But that jumped out at me too. Like he looked like a modern day NBA player that was dropped into the 1950s. He just, he stood out amongst the rest of his competition. Yeah. I mean, you know, people, you know, you look at like the difference Robert Williams meant for the Celtics, mm-hmm. um, you know, this season and, you know, very similar body type. Um, but not only could Russell impact the, 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 the game at the defensive end the way that Robert Williams can but they also ran a lot of offense through him no he was not your traditional like scorer but uh he was a tremendous passer uh and that's really that's that's what freed up a lot of their really star scorers once he arrived is that he was able to through his presence his his passing his ability to set screens those sort of things to open up guys like like Bill Sharman and Frank Ramsey to to flourish I know that he had a, like a special play with him and Bob Cousy mm-hmm. where he would say, stay 24 feet out, find your spot, find your good spot, and all in one motion to grab the offensive rebound, spin around, and dish it out to Kuz. Oh, and, yeah. that was, and that was like part of their offense, a staple of it. Yep, yep, absolutely. And everything was done with the intention of, of, of the team. You know, when he blocked mm-hmm. a shot, he didn't block it into the stands or anything. You know, he blocked it to a teammate, uh, which made the entire, you know, the Celtics' fast-breaking style did not work if it wasn't for him blocking the shot to Bob Cousy to start the the break or getting the rebound and then making that three-quarter court outlet pass. Um, he just made everything so easy on both ends of the court for the, the Celtics and the uh, – I mean, uh, for the offense and the defense. And even for him, I mean, passed away at 88, he lived a long life, but still it, it felt to me I was like, really? Like it just shocked me because even someone – 
old age, 88 years old, played a lot of basketball. And those, the old big guys of the NBA, I mean, those are like seven footers walking around. They don't live that long. I still, it still shocked me of like, it's that Superman feeling. It felt for me. I was like, did he really pass away? Like, how how does that happen? And that's what still kind of shocked him. But it just says to me too, also just like how big he is. I'm 28 years old. And you know, what I know of him and what my always picture of him is, you know, the Bill Russell of his latter years. We'd see him sitting courtside and old, but still showing his love for the players and the game and everything like that. So it says to me, like, the, the weight that he carries, who he was, that he's so iconic on the court, so iconic off the court. And even when he's well past his prime as a human being, that he's, you know, latter age and where he wants to just relax, he's still so iconic right up to 88 years old. Yeah, I think... It's tough because on the one hand, you want to say they, there should be, you know, this, this monument to the sky, to the guy. Um, but on the other hand, there's something really fitting that he probably prefers that his number is just retired there in those generic looking banners mm-hmm. uh, at the garden just was his number six with a bunch of other players because, uh, you know, he would always say, you know, I he was a superstar, but he's like, but it was not about me. You know, it was about the team. It was about winning. Um, you know, the, the, from a basketball standpoint, you know, one amazing thing that he once said is, you know, as a player, if only you can be great on your team, then your team's not going to win. But if you can be great and you can also provide room for your teammates to be great, then you're going to have a winning team and then you're a winner. I think it's a perfect note to end yeah. on on that one. Yeah. You made me great on this one, Ben. Appreciate you hopping on. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening, guys.